0: cell right, so House Differences. What does Jesus do with differences? This has been our driving question this fall, and it's been a good one. It's taken us a lot of places, and I'm just like feeling really grateful for all the diverse voices that we've heard from who have masterfully, masterfully taken, taken us into some really challenging places, but with incredible grace and compassion. So thank you. Thank you so much to, to Megan and Stephen and Nadia and Sarah and Karina. My gosh, you all are amazing. Thank you so much. And, you know, look, it's not like uh, differences are a thing that we're going to stop talking about at Salt House. But this morning, I get to wrap up this sermon series. And as I kind of look back on... All the things that we've talked about, uh, there's a common denominator between each of them and just kind of hiding in plain sight. And that's this little issue of power. Not so little, is it? (laughs) So this morning, I want to ask the question what does Jesus do with power? And if you allow me, I'm going to take kind of a a little bit of a winding road to get there, but I'm going to get there. I promise you, I will get there. However, I want to start with some research in human behavior. <laughs> so hang with me, okay? Um, I, it's going to make sense by the end, okay? So recently, someone turned me on to a bit of research that came out of UC Berkeley by Dacker Keltner, who wrote a book called The Power Paradox. And when I read it, I thought, oh my goodness, he's describing the gospel. You know, of course, he's not going to name it that way, but just wait till the end. And I think you will hear it too. Maybe not in the way that you've heard the gospel before, but I think you're going to hear it. And so that is my prayer this morning, that you, O Holy One, would show up in the space between us, those kind of demilitarized zones of oh God, where it's too hot to step foot, those kind of vast swaths of difference between us God, would you show up there, not to eradicate our differences, but to holy our differences, to transform the way that we see each other so that we can really see each other, the way that we see you, God, so that we can really see you, even now, even right now in this space. We pray this in the great love of Jesus. Amen. Okay. All right. Are you ready? Okay, so I wonder what you think of when I say the word power. We probably have um, all kinds of different associations and emotions. So just think about that one word, power. And I'd love for you to share it in the comments too. Like, what are your associations with that word power? Is it a bad word? Is it a good word? Do you want more of it? Are you afraid of it? What is it? What is power? And, And who do you associate with power? Like, who, who do you think is the most powerful person in the world? So, I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe your head goes towards, like, world political leaders. Uh, you know, the person with the finger on that button. You know, maybe it's, like, military might. Who, like, who, are those, who do you think is the most powerful person in the world? Uh, maybe you think of the gazillionaires with, m- with more money than most, like, small governments. Maybe that's what you think of as power. Uh, or, or maybe you're thinking about those behind like all the algorithms who have uh, social influence. You know, um, I just watched The Social Dilemma, a must see everyone. So maybe you're thinking of like influence as power. I wonder, too, like what kinds of power you have. Uh, you got lots of power. So if you're feeling brave, you can list some of those things in the comments here, too. There's just so many kinds of power and feelings about power. So Keltner's research in the power paradox reveals a dilemma concerning the nature of power and those who hold it. And the first part is this. The first part is, you know, I usually think about power as like bullying and coercion, probably because we've seen so much of it in the last four years, but Keltner says that most often power is fostered through things like empathy and generosity rather than domination. Uh, You know, he cites like uh, these studies of groups of seventh graders. Uh, And if you can remember seventh grade, um, I think the seventh grade holds all the brutality of our world today. (laughs) However, studies show that over time, it's actually the feeling kid who is kind and sharing to her fellow classmates, who's granted social power, not the bullies and the mean girls. Uh, Basically, empathy fosters power. Emily McDowell, uh, she's a person well acquainted with grief, and she noticed that the average sympathy card was entirely unhelpful. Maybe you've noticed this too. So she started this company called Empathy Cards that are real and authentic, and they know how to join others in their grief. Um, here, I love this one. Uh, this one reads, please let me be the first one to punch the next person who says, everything happens for a reason. I'm sorry you're going through this. <laughs> Did not you love that? Oh, man. I, I think that the people to whom I've given authority or power in my life, Two, I mean, it's it's not people who like tell me what to do or want to control me. Um, it's the people who really listen deeply to me and join me where I'm at. It is empathetic people, right? They don't they don't try to fix me. They don't try to fix what I'm feeling because it makes them feel uncomfortable. It's empathetic people who who let you know that they're with you. And it's in that, that connection is formed. And that is a massive kind of power. It's a relational power. It's not a coercive power. It's a relational power. Do you know people like that? Do you know people with this superpower? It is a powerful force in the universe. Empathy fosters power, relational power. So domination, I mean, domination may have power over bodies, but it cannot reach the soul. It cannot reach the heart, right? So empathy is a kind of soft power. It's a a social trust, which is a lasting kind of good, good power that we offer to one another in relationship. I mean, it's a power that's given. It can't be taken. It can only be given. So who do you know of with that kind of power? Who, Who do you give that power to? This one might be kind of harder to name, right? but let's put it in the comments. Let's name it. Let's recognize those powerful people whose power is you know, overlooked most of the time compared to that first list of people. So that's the first thing, is that empathy fosters power, which is kind of like, yay, awesome. But then the second thing, the second finding is like, wait, what? <laughs> because the, the second finding is that power corrupts empathy. So Keltner did this study where he brought groups of three people into a lab and then he randomly designated one person to the position of power. And then by design, they were asked to write these like boring policies. Okay. But then halfway through this plate of five cookies was brought in and every member of the group, you know, took a cookie. But then there was like that last fourth cookie sitting there, right? You know, like, No one really wants to take it. But who do you think took it most often? (laughs) It was that randomly, totally randomly selected leader of the group who took the fourth cookie overwhelmingly at a higher rate than anyone else. And this effect was replicated in a bunch of other studies. So, I mean, his conclusion was this, that power makes us more self-focused. We share less. So regardless really of who we are, it's just what happens to our brains on power, that power corrupts empathy. So let me mention just one more fascinating study where he positioned someone at a crosswalk and then he hid someone else in the bushes nearby to record the results and see which cars would stop for the pedestrian standing at the crosswalk and which ones would just drive right through. So again, overwhelmingly it was the high-priced luxury cars that didn't stop yes even (laughs) the eco-friendly electric cars and it was the old beaters that stopped and let the pedestrian walk again they thought well okay maybe this is just like you know Berkeley neighborhood or something like that so they replicated this study in a whole bunch of cities and the same results were found When we are in positions of power, we become blind to others. It's just what our brains do on power. Power corrupts empathy. And so that's the bind. Empathy creates power, but power corrupts empathy. So how do you solve a problem like power? I mean, I can hear like St. Paul from Romans seven crying out, who's gonna save me from this cycle of death? It's a bind. Bind and it's a spiritual one. And this is where Keltner's work really surprised me. So, next, he went about his research um, by studying historic leaders who held significant power and yet appeared kind of uncorrupted by it. So, for instance, um, he notes that Abraham Lincoln's opponents who knew him best would often comment that they felt understood, even cared for, even while in deep disagreement. And For that, you know, Lincoln earned their respect. So I I know that it doesn't seem like it out there, but opponents don't have to be enemies and disagreements don't have to lead to the demonization of others. And unreconcilable differences with which, you know, people in committed relationships know that that's the majority of them are unreconcilable differences can even become places of tender connection rather than unavoidable division. Keltner, he noticed throughout history, certain people with great power, they stood out. And what was their secret? For humans to remain empathetic with power, they must be vigilant in their mission to steward power for the service of others. That's what he he came up, that was his big discovery. For humans to remain empathetic with their power, they must be vigilant in their mission to steward power for the service of others. So let me brag on Jason Bendixson for a second here. Recently, I overheard him giving some sought-after advice to someone who was voting for the first time and you know, kind of felt overwhelmed by it. And Jason said something that I've never heard anyone say before. He said, well, I've got most of my needs met. So when I vote, I'm voting for the personal interests of others who don't have their needs met. (laughs) My jaw dropped. I've never heard anyone say that before. And what Jason expressed, my friends, is what St. Paul calls the mind of Christ using whatever power it is that you have for the sake of others, looking after the interests of others at the cost of your own power and privilege. So here's the last piece, that God's purpose for power is to serve. God's purpose for power is to serve. It's what God is doing in you to break that bind and to create a new nature in you. And believe me, it is a counter nature to our evolutionary survival at all costs nature. It is a new nature. It is a Christ nature um, that trusts in God's self-emptying power. So it's what the early Christians sang about in the Christ hymn and what St. Paul quotes in the letter to the Philippian church when he says, even though Christ was in the very form of God, He did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited over others. Christ did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited over others. So what then did Christ do with the power of being God? He says Christ emptied himself into humanity, emptied himself into the service to others Ultimately, even into death on a cross. That, my friends, that, not something else, that is the power of God. Seems foolish, I know, but that is the power of God. If someone has told you something else about God's power, they probably wanted to sell you something, okay? (laughs) They probably wanted something from you because this is the good news for everyone. What does God do with difference in power? The incarnation and the cross shows us what God does with power. Jesus is the empathy of God. God's power is not in coercion. It is in connection, my friends. So beloved salt house, your power, and you got a lot of it. Your power will corrupt you if it does not become transformed by the Holy Spirit into service for others. It's what God does with power. It's who we know God to be in Jesus. Jesus says to his disciples, and I think he's saying it to you too right now. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. And don't we know it? But Jesus says this, It shall not be so with you. It shall not be so with you. But whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. And I am among you as one who serves. Oof! I am among you as one who serves. So I leave that with you. A bit of research about human behavior and a bit of gospel. (laughs) <laughs> you know who God is. You know what God does with power. But the question here is, what are you going to do with your power, my friends? The world is hurting right now. The world is scared. Our communities are hurting. I, a lot of our families are hurting and scared right now. There's, there's just like a great urgency. There's a desperation for a third voice for a Jesus voice, for a mind of Christ voice. So in heaven's name, what are you going to do? How are you going to follow Jesus into the in-between of difference? I don't know. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I can't wait to find out.